welcome to the Eat Move Live 52 podcast. We're super excited to have a very special guest today. Our guest is Bill Hartman. He's known for finding solutions for people in pain that have failed with other forms of treatment. He owns IFAST Physical Therapy in Indianapolis, Indiana, and co-owns Indianapolis Fitness and Sports Training together with Mike Robertson. He is the author of the brand new phenomenal book, All Gain, No Pain, The Over 40 Comeback Guide to Rebuilding a Fit and Pain-Free Body After Pain, Injury, or Physical Therapy. It's really, really a book that everyone should read. First, it establishes how to reconstruct your body to recover faster, sleep better, move better, and have more energy all day. And next, it teaches you how to build bigger, stronger muscles in a minimum of time without beating yourself up in the process. My this book has really, guys, it really has become my favorite source for knowledge I can recommend for anyone, as it addresses so much of mo- most of our readers and listeners, and honestly, most of my colleagues struggle with. Bill is really a special person for Roland and I, so there's a bit of a sentimental excitement in here. Both of us met Bill, well, I met Bill 10 years ago, and Roland met Bill, what, 11, 12 years ago? Yeah. Gosh, we're getting, we all had more hair and all sorts of stuff back then. Um, but do you want to say how you met Bill? Yeah, I met Bill at the first, well, the first fitness summit that I'd ever attended um, back in 2006, I think. And um, Bill was doing ART um, for charity, for like donations. Like, here, you know, line up and you want some ART, where's your problem? And let's let's figure it out. So we get up to the, I get up there and I had, um, I said, yeah, really? The, my, my biggest issue is I have I'm getting ready for carpal tunnel syndrome surgery, and I'm a little bit nervous about that. And Bill said, ah, and like sat me down and started cranking on my forearms and said, um, showed me some things to do and said, like, go home and do this every day and probably you won't have need carpal tunnel syndrome surgery. And after like a couple of weeks, like my symptoms had gone away. And I just kept doing it, and pretty soon I did less and less, and I haven't had, I've been carpal tunnel pain, however you say it, my arms don't hurt, my wrists don't hurt, so uh, Bill sort of saved me from that, so I'm very thankful for that. And then um, the other thing, he taught me a neat parlor trick. I go to parties, if people say they can't touch their toes, I can now teach them how to touch their toes by uh, by deactivating their their glutes by squeezing something uh, between <laughs> between their legs and um, Bill, um, you have to teach him something new it's been like 11 years i know of but it's <laughs> but it still works and sometimes i give him credit yeah and i met bill um through the jp fitness summit and jp fitness forum which back then was kind of like our common home on the internet rolled in eyes i was still in bulgaria and i was a young personal trainer and looking at bill was like looking at everything I could become one day if I just really gave my life to this. And I know I wouldn't be where I am in my relationship to my own body and my own work. And I definitely wouldn't be where I am professionally if it wasn't for Bill. So thank you, Bill. It's such an honor and we're so excited to have you on. Welcome. Thank you. That was one heck of an introduction. (laughs) Unbelievable. We've been practicing. We've been practicing it all night. (laughs) I can't believe it's been so long. It doesn't seem like that long ago at all. Yeah. Well, because you still have hair. Well, yeah, a little <laughs> bit. You know, it's 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 just narrower than it used to be. You know. Um, 
But gosh, uh, it's been at least ten years yeah. uh, since since we first met. This is this is incredible. It's so, so great to talk to you guys. Yeah, it's awesome. Thanks for thanks for being on. We're, We're very excited, uh, and both read your book. It's it's awesome. Oh, thank you. Yeah. And you know, it's so cool reading a Kindle book versus reading a paper book, where you know you can you can read and then click on the links and go to the exercise and then go back. It's it's a really dynamic experience and like reading a paper book. So we've had a lot of fun with it. I've been reading it on my computer and on my smartphone and Roland's been reading it on his Kindle. Reader. I have an actual Kindle. Um, it's, what, it's, what's been interesting for me is like the book. How long has the book been out, Bill? Uh, just about two weeks, I think. So I, I read it about, I started it about a week ago, and even then, like, the, my Kindle tells me when other people highlight certain portions of the book. Sure. Yeah. And there are places where I'm like, oh, this is interesting, and then I look under it, and I'm like, oh, like, 18 people have already highlighted this passage. And it, so it sort of tells you, and um, it's just really interesting that after only only a week, so many people had already found so many gems that they could highlight out of the book. So yeah, it was, it's pretty neat. Um, I, let me offer you something scary um, in regards to Big Brother watching you. Um, you can actually find out how many pages have been read in total of all the books that have been sold. <clears throat> so like the running tally every day as to how many pages are being read. So so Kindle knows exactly what you're doing every moment of the day. Yeah. Wow. wow. But that that tells you not to write a ten thousand page book because then maybe yeah. Well, exactly. But, right. Uh, just and, and a little FYI, we are currently working on the paperback version so we can cool. avoid all this uh, technical stuff and actually have a, a a solid hard copy book in your hands soon. Well, so we oh, will, that's great. We will own them all. Oh, I appreciate that. I will I will get you guys a signed copy for sure. Oh, that's wonderful. Fantastic. We have so many questions for you. So. We're going okay. to dive just right in, and uh, ho hopefully we have time. All right. So, uh, um, Bill, how well do you think the, the fitness industry has served people uh, coming back after injury, physical therapy? Like, what's been missing? I don't know that, that, that anything's been missing. I think I think our strategies are are what has been the the, the problem, and not seeing the human system for what it is, which is this complex adaptable system. There's, there's always this analogy of, of us being a machine and, and having function. And that's so far from reality. Um, we are a complex adaptive system. That means that everything that we do emerges from all of our systems, all of our subsystems put together. So they all respond at, at all times. And so we're not pieces and parts that are interchangeable and replaceable, although it seems like that sometimes. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, our, our muscles are not rubber bands. They're not pieces of leather. They're they're electric. They're they're attached by wires to the brain, and and they function as such in a coordinated manner, depending on where we are in the environment, what task we're trying to perform. And so it's difficult to come up with hard and fast rules that apply across the board. And I think that that's what we've been trying to do for a very long time. And if we can alter the perspective and look at our system as an integrated model where every system influences the other and understand that with complex systems, there's a hierarchy 
that is established in all complex systems where one subsystem may influence the outcome of our behaviors more so than any other at any one time, and then that that subsystem may change depending on what we're doing. And we have to get comfortable with not knowing what those answers will be. And so there's an element of experimentation that needs to go on. And, and there's a, a, a structuring of a process that needs to take place versus trying to plug people into these uh, simplistic models of this machine-like property that we just don't have. Mm-hmm. And I, I think that if we can appreciate how all these systems start to interact, I think we get a whole lot better at what we're doing, regardless of whether we're talking about the rehab industry or the fitness industry and, and you know, the, the melding of, of all these health-related components in, into one big model. And from what I'm hearing you share here, it seems like that would really influence the way that on the on the fitness and uh, health side, we interact with the patients and clients where it's a very different process than, you know, most of the people who come to me um, don't get that sort of care in their PT clinic, sometimes just because it's simply you know, we have 15 minutes or 20 minutes with you. This The system hasn't been set up to address us as complex systems either. N- not at all. Where, where, where's the code for that, you know? Right. So, so you know, there's an element of, of I need to get to know you mm-hmm. kind of a concept. And mm-hmm. I'm not just talking about like an interpersonal relationship. I'm talking about like how does your system respond? You know, what what, what are your experiences that drive your behaviors? If we don't examine those and we don't try to understand those and how they influence every aspect of the system including the movement system then you know we're we're lost there's so many unknowns that we tend to be uncomfortable with which is probably why we try to default to these rules that don't exist and and it's it's a lot more complex than we think it is and i think people are just uncomfortable with that so it's easier to default to a model that says oh you don't have motion here. Well, pull on it and yank on it, and it'll get better. Mm. And you know, there's so much more to it that that I think we've been missing. And and we're evolving. There's no question about that. We, we've got better information than we've ever had. I just don't know how prolific it is. You know, at, in working with students, I, I don't think it's it's found its way back to the schools yet. And and I think part of that is, you know, the, the need to sort of update the information um, that, that they're being taught. Um, they're getting good science. I don't know if they're getting good application yet. But, but like I said, it, it's evolving, but we're just not there yet. Yeah. And, and I think your book is such a great example of how that can be brought down to kind of like the base of the pyramid where people are really missing the information, but maybe they're ready to. Um, really be proactive and take control um, of their own healing path um, versus, you know, consuming what's been fed down and and has not worked repeatedly. I mean, we have, I'm sure people come to you after 20, 25 years of something not working sometimes. (laughs) That would be almost an everyday occurrence. (laughs) Right. Right. My my students and my interns uh, tend to tend to just shake their head when they see, you know, the, the intake forms and, and people express how long they've had their issues and how many practitioners they've seen before they come to see me. And it, it's rather remarkable. 
Yeah, it is. It is rather remarkable. And and look at the amazing pool of work that you have created out of it that we can all benefit from as we we read and 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 kind of strive to to bring that to practice, not just on the scientific side, but actually like how do we take the science that we have now and apply it, you know, at eight o'clock this morning, um, yeah. versus just you know talking about it on fancy forums. So curious, what have been some of the strategies that your patients and clients have been most uh, willing to implement and accept in their lives? Like Roland and I get a lot of pushback on sleep. That has been the hardest thing for people to change. I'm curious for you, what has been some of the easiest thing, things and where have people given you a bit more pushback? Well, the easiest thing is always intensity. People think that, that all they have to do is work a little bit harder. And and I think we're all pretty good at, at doing that. If we just do a little bit more or we push a little bit harder, then, then, then things will get better. And the reality is is typically just the opposite. Um, you know, from, from my rehab perspective, the thing that I would push, and if we're going to use a term from the book, excuse me, uh, term from the book, we'll, we'll, we'll refer to the resets. And so um, we'll use these these reset exercises, which involve some muscle activity, some positioning, and and superimpose some, some respiration, some breathing on top of that. And that's going to be the first thing that they implement because, one, it's something to do, so it's active, it's participatory, and, and most people think that they need to do something um, to, to get better. So, so I, I get that buy-in there, um, but it's also restorative at the same time. And this is where most of us fail. Um, you know, it, it, if you go through the book, that you notice that I emphasize the, the um, reconstitution, rebuilding of resilience over um, all other factors first, because you know, if you add and add and add, all you're doing is, is depleting resources uh, over and over again and never refueling, never refilling. And, and I make the reference to the stress bucket in, in, in the book as well. And, and those are the things that we need to focus on first. We have to have a foundation to recover from stress first because we're already stressed from any number of of reasons and to add more intensity and more work on top of that is, is usually a recipe for failure. We can sort of keep it up for a while, but ultimately we run out of resources. And so, you know, by, by beginning with the resets, like I said, it is something that they can, they can take upon themselves to, to do actively, um, and then begin to build this, this foundation of resilience. And do you feel like you're getting a little bit more pushback on other strategies in the book, like really paying attention to nutrition and recovery and um, restorative sleep? Of course, because that's the hard part, right? <laughs> yeah. it, it is. It is the hard part. It, actually, intensity is so easy. Ask somebody to go, go, go to the gym. People think that when, when they're trying to get in shape, people think that, that it's the workout that, that matters. Right. And, and it, there's an element of that where, where it does matter. But – if you're not superimposing that on top of some sort of restorative means, some way to recover from that workout, if you don't have the resources to recover from exercise, 
then all you're doing is digging yourself deeper and deeper and deeper into that hole. You're emptying your stress bucket. You have, you have no resources available for anything else. And then the next thing you know, you've got a, you've had a fight with your wife or you oversleep because you're, you're too exhausted or your, your performance suffers at work. And then eventually you experience this decline and then that results in pain or injury or illness. So we have to have this, this foundation of, of resilience first. And, and it takes a while for people to become convinced of this. Yeah. But, uh, but once they do, then their world changes. And then they start realizing that, that the true victories in, in all of this is, is the self-regulatory component, going to bed at a certain time, getting up at a certain time, making sure that we have you know, uh, sufficient energy from, from some element of, of our nutrition program. And then we superimpose the intensity on top of that, and we're infinitely more successful. I, it never ceases to amaze me that, you know, lay down, close your eyes, put a nice cover over you, and don't do anything. It's so much harder than get up at four in the morning and go crank out a circuit training that's going to make you nauseous. Um, and, and you're not going to feel better. I mean, you will feel better for a little bit because of some of the, the biochemical stuff that happens, but long term, it's it's really killing you. And so it, it doesn't seem, seem to... Um, to, to be common sense, but that's what we see in practice. We did a we did a podcast with uh, Sean Stevenson um, a while back, and mm -hmm. when I posted it on Facebook, one of my one of my friends who's like an entrepreneur type said, um, "I'm not even going to listen to this because I know I already know I'm not going to sleep." <laughs> <laughs> she goes, "I wish you hadn't posted this," and then she like left. <laughs> yeah. Well, sleep, sleep's not sexy. The workouts are sexy because that implies the, the look, right? That, and, and again, a lot of people are, are, are very concerned about aesthetics, not realizing that they're, they're superimposing that on top of a, a – or supposedly suppose, uh, superimposing that on top of a, a foundation of health. And, and that's just not the unfortunate reality. Yeah. You know, it's, it's sort of like we're all – you know, we often talk about how we – we're not living our natural lives and our resources are quite depleted. And then to go on top of that and load yourself with, with intensity is just for someone who maybe was an athlete at some point or naturally has, you know, the makeup and the self-regulation that can take that great, but that's not the kind of person that most of us are. Yeah. So, no, <laughs> so, so Galena and I, we're, we're, obviously two different people she's a little bit shorter but um we're we respond different like when she's injured she is like i'm gonna fix this and i'm gonna do everything it takes i'm gonna go to the gym i'm gonna or not go to the gym or do whatever it takes to get this taken care of mm -hmm. i on the other hand when i get like my shoulder hurts it's like it like breaks my spirit and I don't even want to go to the gym. Like I don't like, I, I just, I don't want to do anything. I'm just like, oh, I can't do the things I want to do. So, mm -hmm. right. I just don't, you know, so why is it so hard? Like, why do you, why is this phenomenon there? Like why, like what's with this behavior? I mean, I get hers, <laughs> but, but mine is the one that's like a mystery. How do you get people? How do you encourage people to get back in there and take care of the problems? Well, the goal then is to be proactive, right, um, rather than being reactive. So instead of um, you know, establishing this, this, okay, I'll break myself and then I'll 
I'll stay away and then eventually it'll get better and then I'll go back and I'll break myself and <laughs> and so forth. The, the, the idea is, is to remain proactive and establish this pattern of behavior so this really is not an issue, right? Um, because all you're doing is, is um, making this comparison of yourself to when you were at your best. And if I can't be my best, then I'm not going to do anything. Um, and and I, I think that, that what most people need to realize is that we will have these ups and downs regardless of of how we progress and the goal is to establish this trend of behaviors uh, that that provides this this sort of uh upward movement of 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 progress um rather than you know constantly reacting and, and understanding that that okay so i have a mild setback it's not that big a deal i've had this before i have experience with this you know i just need to do my diligence and, and, you know, then I can start to make my comeback, you know, everybody's got a little bit different behavior based on their experiences. You know, we're not going to try to pigeonhole everybody into the, to the, to the same patterns. But if, if we live this lifestyle of, of being more proactive, establishing ritualistic behaviors that protect us from these many things, then a lot of times we just don't even have to deal with it. Yeah. And, and for those people in the, who are really interested about kind of the, the nitty gritty sciencey part of this, how is moving particularly helpful for recovery from pain or injury? So, so everything about the human system is related to movement. Okay. Our brains exist for movement. There's a great Ted talk. Oh yeah. I love it. We'll put it in the show notes mm -hmm. by, by a neuroscientist named David Wolpert. And, and he talks about, you know, why brains exist and, and they do exist for movement. And he, and he uses a lot of great examples. So I won't go into it. Everybody should watch it. It takes like 20 minutes and, and, and it's, it's just brilliant and he's funny and, mm -hmm. and, and very interesting, but everything, everything that, that we are is about movement. And the, the thing I want you to understand is, is we also have, Memories that influence how we move. So, so for instance, why don't you put your hand on a hot stove? Well, because at some point in time, you put your hand on a hot stove and it hurt. And so your brain says, I'm not going to ever do that again. That was stupid. And then pain is no different, you know, from if we have musculoskeletal pain or joint pain or however you want to perceive it. Um, that's no different. We have a memory of that too. And, and these memories can be overpowering. I've had, I've had patients that come to see me after 30 years, uh, a, a, an injury that happened when they were in their teens mm -hmm. and now they're in their forties and, and they are still fearful mm -hmm. of certain activities and movements because they think that, that it's going to come back. And so what, what movement provides us is learning. All we're doing is reeducating the system to let us know that it's safe and it has to be done in a progressive manner. Um, there's definitely specific ways to learn. I, I would suggest reading the book, uh, making it stick. Mm -hmm. um, it's, it's entirely about how we learn and the best methods to learn. Um, but it's also probably one of the best training books I've ever read. If you look at it from that perspective, because there's no difference between, you know, what we're doing in, in the gym or in, in, in rehab, it's, it's all about teaching the system and, and relearning movement or learning new movements or altering perspectives and, and providing an education to that system to let it know that it's still safe to move. 
Um, and, and we've got enough research to show that that you know structure may not even matter. We have people with these horrible looking MRIs that come in and and they walk out you know in just a few visits pain free and they go back to the gym. And I have these people that come in with absolutely nothing on diagnostic tests that become you know these these battles of mm-hmm. of of will and fear mm-hmm. um, because they're just so afraid to move. And so we always have to take those things into consideration. Um, but the answer tends to default to movement because everything that we do is about movement. Our thoughts, th- this is, this is a really cool perspective. So, so think about before, um, before man could, could, could speak and we communicated through gestures and then those gestures eventually became speech. And then we learned how to internalize our speech and those became thoughts. So every thought that you have is based on movement. So, so everything that we do mm-hmm. is about movement. And so, you know, it, it, I, I think I, I say in the book, you know, you know, movement might be the problem, but movement is also the solution. I, uh, I really feel like I would like to just take that, those last three minutes of you talking and just put it on replay in my waiting room. I think that's going to work really, really well to just for my clients to just repeatedly hear someone else that's not me, like a strong <laughs> male voice speak that over and over and over again. Because I can't tell you how many people come to me um, after seeing so many other people who have told them not to move in a certain way. So it's not just our own inner fear of moving and putting our hand on the stove or bending over in that way that injured us. But also there's a lot of professional voices in people's heads that are saying, oh, don't ever, like I just had someone last week who said, well, my, my doctor told me never to rotate this yeah. way and never to rotate this way. And it's become this sort of like, um, kind of like spacesuit that's put on top of the body. And then another doctor says something, there's another spacesuit. And then your mother says something, it's another spacesuit. So we have all these rules that people arrive in very confused bodies that they've lost ownership of. Um, and I, I'm so excited your book is out there because now I can say, here, read this. Because um, there's people who love being in the gym and have felt a real sense of loss since they've been in pain. My, my favorite one is, is when a patient comes in and says, well, so-and-so says I shouldn't squat at all. And I was like, uh, okay, how do you get on the toilet? Mm-hmm. And then they're paralyzed in thought. It's like, well, that's a really confusing statement. Yeah. yeah. thought about that. <laughs> like hmm how do i get in my car well let me show you (laughs) we we need to be careful what we say to people because we can you know we can dramatically influence how they feel and how they perceive things and 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 we need to let people know that there's usually not a best way there's no such thing there's absolutely no such thing as good posture Mm -hmm. because how do you even know when you're there if there was one so the reality is, is that posture and movement are these emergent properties, all of our systems working together to generate a behavior. And so what we want to make sure that we have from a health perspective is enough variability in our movement system and in our supportive systems to adapt to whatever environments that we function in. So whether that be sport, whether it be the gym, whether it be our work situation, or our family situation, we want to make sure that we remain adaptable. If we have all postures available to us, then we can use the right one at the right time based on what our perceptions are based on the environment that we're in and based on the tasks that we're performing. And that would be a responsive way versus a um, kind of like a pre-responded way, which has been 
the industry standard and, and so so many people come to me with like just tell me how to do this and I'm like well if it's impossible like you can't go tell your cat or dog how to do something like you it you're a living being that's always interacting with the environment but also in these impoverished environments it's become so difficult to have variability and our next question is really about that like that musculoskeletal pattern that is shaped based on our you know right dominant world and the way that we're all sitting and living in the western world and the stress patterns in the book you talk about um these common musculoskeletal stress patterns that are common to all people and mm -hmm. curious what that looks like and can you tell our listeners a little bit more about that how can someone know that they're potentially experiencing pain and their brain is signaling pain because it's asking for change out of a persistent uh, musculoskeletal stress pattern? Well, um, so there's an assessment in the book that will give you some, some, some standard movements just for comparison purposes. And, and so I gave you some, some generalized um, ranges that, that we would consider, um, you know, uh, I don't want to say norms or, or better or good because it will all vary from day to day. But but it'll provide you some comparisons. And, but what, the reason that we use uh, extremity movement as a, as a diagnostic is because think about how your, your legs are attached to your, to your torso, your arms are attached to your torso, um, and, and the way that they move is dependent on where that joint position is. Well, what controls that joint position? Well, it happens to be the way that your rib cage and your spine and your abdomen and your pelvis all interact together. And, the position of those joints is determined by a number of things. Um, we are not symmetrical on the inside of our body. Um, so that influences how the the body potentially can move. We don't breathe equally on, on either side of the body. So we've got asymmetries there. Even our peripersonal space, the way we perceive the space around us is, is, is right dominant. We, we our, our brains tend to be, left side dominant because of our speech and the left side of our body controls or the left side of our brain controls the right side of our body. So we have this, this right dominance. And, and if we don't manage this, we're never going to get rid of it, but if we don't manage it well, then we tend to have restricted movements and those restricted movements can ultimately result in, in discomfort, pain, injury, et cetera, depending on what the circumstance may be. And sometimes we don't have any problems. And, and so, you know, we can't say that, that it's, a major player, we can't say that it's not. It's just something that we have to attend to. It's something that we want to manage. And and so, you know, sometimes you can see it. I gave you some examples in the books and pictures so you can you can make some comparisons to some ways that you can sort of self-measure. And and it, the thing is, we don't want to get too caught up in that. What we want to do is make sure that, that as I was saying before, we want to be proactive when we're maintaining our, our ability to, to access our full movement repertoire. And we do that through positions we do that through movement and we do that through breathing mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, can you talk more about breathing because that, that's a it's an interesting part and i've seen the the attitudes about breathing sort of shift in the fitness industry over the years and i think people just you know breathing something that most of us do all the time and but <laughs> but so like we just take it for granted for granted, yeah. for granted, and um, 
you know, we don't understand that the way we breathe might be either causing us problems or, you know, working against our, you know, working against us. So tell, talk a little bit about that, how that can happen. Sure, sure. So, so if, if I experience a stressor, um, and this goes for any, any system or subsystem in the body in general, I'm speaking generally here, there might be exceptions, but I can't think of one off the top of my head that, that, that's useful. Um, every system in the body will try to simplify itself if it is stressed. So let's use blood pressure as an example, um, because it's easy for, for people to, to perceive now. So, so people will say that, uh, a normal blood pressure is 120 over 80. And I would offer that that's, that's, that's the wrong perspective. It's not normal. It's, it just tends to be the average. Um, it, normal blood pressure depends on what you're doing. So normal blood pressure for running flat out 100 meters is radically different from 120 over 80. You know, normal blood pressure while you're, you're dead asleep, um, should be very, very low. So what we want is this adaptability. Uh, in, in that system. And when people develop high blood pressure, it's because this, the stress levels that they're experiencing drive the blood pressure up, and then eventually we get peripheral adaptations. So our body learns to manage this higher blood pressure by making you know, blood vessels thicker and more muscular and to create more resistance. And so now we have this relatively permanent elevation in blood pressure. Well, our movement system is no different. So if I experience a stressor, and my body is essentially in a defensive mode against that stressor, I will assume these musculoskeletal stress patterns. So th this is the classic flight or fight description where I'll increase muscle tone in certain areas so I can escape some sort of, def you know, in, in defense or I will stand and I will fight. And so if we're experiencing these stressors on a regular basis, we learn these patterns and these patterns become ingrained as our norm by accident. So anything you do a lot of, you will learn to do and you will keep doing it. So I have to stay alive. That's that's one of my, um, you know, uh, predetermined factors of being a human is is that I, I will work to stay alive. And so I will find a way to breathe while I am in this stress pattern and I will breathe roughly 20,000 times a day. So now I've got high reps. I've got a, a static position that I'm using over and over again, and I essentially learn to breathe in a limited repertoire. I learn to move in a limited repertoire. And so one of the things that I have to be able to do to access other movements is I have to be able to breathe in other positions. So I can inhibit musculature. I can turn off muscle tone. But if I can't breathe in another position, I'm not going to go there because, again, my, my brain likes its oxygen. It's 2% of your body weight and consumes 25% of your oxygen. So, so it's very air hungry. And so that's why breathing becomes so important. We have to be able to breathe in these other positions as we manage muscle tone. We have to be able to move pressures inside of our body, in our, in our rib cages, in our bellies, and down into our pelvis to allow us to move the joints where our extremities are attached. That's how we access new movements. So if we can't manage the pressures, and the easiest way for us to change pressures inside of our body is through breathing, then you, know, you, you can see where breathing becomes this, this sort of overriding subsystem of, of all the systems that has to be managed first so we can actually access other positions and other movements. That is really, really helpful because I feel like most people understand the importance of breathing 
sort of as, oh yeah, respiration, yeah, oxygen is important, oh yeah, when I go and do quote unquote cardio, air quotes cardio, I'm, you know, I can feel my breathing go faster and then I feel better. I don't think most people even realize how breathing and muscle activity and particular muscle activity are related and how certain muscles that aren't supposed to be muscles of breathing become muscles of breathing um, and how if you can't breathe when you're bent over, your body doesn't want to bend over. If you can't breathe lying on your side, you can't lie on that side. So you always lie on the other side when you sleep. And then we get in all these repetitive positions. And breathing is the most repetitive things you guys do. That's me talking to the listeners. So it's really worth paying attention to. And if you just get Bill's book to read the chapter on breathing and do the resets, then um, that's probably time, money, and... Um, um, kind of your own energy really well spent. Um, if if you come to me, those of you who are coming to the studio know that that's a lot of what we do in the beginning. And those of you who can last the frustration of lack of intensity last a long time with me. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Bill. This is really a big deal, speaking about breathing in this way. And you're doing it in a way that's artful and helpful and um, really helps me become a better teacher as I I listen to you talk. Thank you. Yeah. So, I hope yep. so. Yep. So there's the other, there's breathing. And then the other thing in your book that's huge and really well explained is pain. Mm -hmm. And can you explain a little bit how pain works? Because I find for most people who come to me that they feel that if they're hurting, then there's an actual, and they'll actually ask me like, how do I know if this is not causing me, you know, some damage that's going to then need another surgery or there's there seems to be in the minds of most people who come to me and most of our readers this sense that if this hurts then by moving I'm causing the structural damage and then that's going to need help surgically or in some other way that I don't want to go there so I'd rather not move can you explain yeah, I how feel like they imagine pain is like there's something inside your body cutting into the other thing yeah and and like that's oh I have pain I better not ever do this again because something is causing damage against another surface internal into my body. Right. Right. Yeah. Pain, pain's interesting, but, but we, so we have to understand first and foremost that, that pain is, is just one output that comes from our brain. So I would equate fatigue. We don't, people don't worry about fatigue so much, but yet it's just an output of the brain. It's just there to protect us, mm -hmm. to, to let us know that, hey, resources are dwindling. I haven't had this experience before. I'm not really sure what to do about it. So here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to make you tired. I'm going to tell you that it's time to stop. And and so pain is really no different in that respect. And the, the, the way that I would explain it, it's like, like pain becomes important because it hurts, you know? It, <laughs> We have, to, we have to have this negative experience to get us to stop doing things. Pain is there for protection and, and first and foremost. You know, if, if, you, uh, if you play basketball and you, you roll your ankle and you have that, that surge of pain, but then you kind of walk it off and then, you know, five minutes later you're back in the game not even thinking about it and, and even forget about it that it ever happened. You know, the reason that that happens is because, well, the pain was just there to let you know that, okay, that was really close to something dangerous that I didn't like, and I just need you to be aware of it, and I need you to stop doing that. You know, and, and if we can think about that across the board in, in, in all situations, it doesn't mean that we don't respect the pain because we don't know whether damage 
is existent or not. We don't know if the damage is important or not. But that's why we have to respect it. But it, it doesn't mean that, that, one, we can't overcome it. And, and two, we don't have strategies to deal with this. So again, we have to go back to this, this, this concept of learning. What, what is the, what is the model that we all have in our heads growing up? I mean, all you have to do is fall off of your bike one time and, and you know what pain is and immediately we associate this with damage. Okay, my skin is damaged. I have an abrasion on my skin or maybe you broke a bone at one point in time. Or, or whatever. So we all associate pain with with structure, and, and we have to let people know um, that 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 pain does not equal structure, and structure does not equal pain. Even if we have things that show up on diagnostic tests, and we have so much better information about this than we've ever had. You know, we have we have studies that show, you know, uh, sham or fake surgeries versus real surgeries don't seem to impact the outcome under certain circumstances. That that. You know, diagnostic tests don't correlate with with subjective complaints of pain. So while you know we don't want to immediately say, "Well, it's all in your head. Don't worry about it." We we have to respect this because one, we just don't know. And again, this is what people are uncomfortable with. They're uncomfortable with not knowing. It's human nature to have closure and to have a reason. And unfortunately, we just don't have that. But if we can explain this to people, take the time to explain that, okay, so this pain is a danger signal. It's a warning that something may be important. And and, and that's all I'm saying is that it's just important. We have to attend to it. Mm -hmm. but, but we do have strategies to address these things. Mm -hmm. um, I, I I think you've got the, the Why Do I Hurt book mm -hmm. nearby. Mm -hmm. no? Okay. So, so that's Adrian Lau's, Lau's book. Great, great book. Great representation. I make a reference to him um, in in my books. I just I just love the way that he explains things, and he uses the you know the burglar alarm example um, that, that it's just a warning sign. It's just a warning that something could be could be dangerous, and you know if we have pain long enough. That, that warning signal can become more sensitive. So it's kind of like a sunburn. You know, normally your skin doesn't hurt, but you expose it to the sun too much. And now, you know, your, your skin hurts to the touch. Well, our warning signal can become sensitized over time to where normal things that, that shouldn't restrict us um, and shouldn't be painful can become painful. So again, it's just educating our, our clients and our patients to understand what pain really is and, and again, respect it but also try to understand it. And then the, the, the fallback is always going to be movement's going to get you out of it. Yeah, and always watching the whole system, watching the whole system versus just this one thing. I find that the more overwhelmed the person is, the more, um, the longer they've been in pain. And the kind of population that comes to me has like chronic fatigue and fibromyalgia. That's kind of the kind of, of people that I work with. And so the littlest thing can throw you off and it can be nutrition, it can be lack of sleep, it can be some stressful pattern, it can be a recent, you know, small um, bumper to bumper accident or something like that. And they can be out for months. And oftentimes, the more overwhelmed they are, the more they want to focus on quote unquote, fixing something that's mechanical, because it's mm -hmm. easier to see, it's easier to perceive, it's kind of easier to fight the enemy you can imagine seeing versus this unseen enemy. And so that's just how our brains work and just repeatedly explaining over and over again. And I find keeping copies of 
you know, why do I hurt? Because it's small and easily digestible and, and other books around pain education and, and graphs and good five minute YouTube videos that I can send them really, really helps reinforce that over and over again. But I have to keep doing it. Yeah. So, so let me see if I get this straight. So if I'm in pain there, or there are times when I could be in pain because somewhere deep down within my body, within my brain, um, it's, I feel that it's unsafe to do a particular movement or to go into that range of motion or something like that. So either by becoming more mobile, stronger, um, or something I can make, I make it safe to go into that position again. So therefore, I'm not going to feel pain warning me not to go into that position. Correct. Absolutely. That, okay. That's brilliant. Okay. Yeah. So, so many times, what what we have to do, if if we have say, let let take any any painful area or painful movement, a lot of times what we'll do is we'll we'll do something that is so far away from 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 that particular movement you know if i have a shoulder problem or whatever i might be using the other extremity or i might be moving hips i might be moving everything but that to reestablish you know a a a variable uh, repertoire of movement and a lot of times then the painful movement can resolve over time so it's not about attacking this this one area that that seems to move. What what we're usually representing under these circumstances is a system that has lost variability, the ability to adapt, the ability to change. And all we have to do is reestablish through any number of means the variability of the entire system. And then a lot of times this stuff just goes away. That's great. So once somebody has this mindset change, you know, or understand some of the, the importance of some of these things, what is what, what is the logical progression returning to like full activity or, or your, your normal gym activity or life activity after an injury or surgery? That's a great question. I have no idea. And I say that like tongue in cheek. Um, we, we don't have, we shouldn't have um, these, these absolutes that, that here's the rules that you have to follow other than what, what what I refer to as the statute of workout limitations, which which I derived from Melsif's um, statute of, of fitness limitations, and and all this is is I refer to it as as testing the water with your toe before you jump in the pool. <laughs> is we just don't know what 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 that progression is going to be for everyone, and and so we have to move in small increments. We have to, to take the next logical step. So I'll, I'll give you a, a, a for instance. I, I had a student that had some pain issues recently, and and um, he uh, he he was doing uh, dumbbell floor presses. That was his that was his pressing movement, and he was doing great with it. It wasn't bothering him at all. And and he and he said, um, you know, um, I, I think I'm ready to. Uh, go to like a, a, a barbell incline press. And I, and, and I just looked at him and I, and I said, do you really think that that's the next logical step? Because, you know, if, if we make too big a jump, um, just because we feel good, then the, the system may respond in a defensive manner again. And so, you know, everybody is their own experiment. You know, I always refer to, to N equals one. Everybody's their own within subjects design. They're their own research study. And, and so we, we have to move forward 
in a progressive manner, but we have to take the next logical step. Some people can take bigger steps than others. And so I, I don't want to say that, okay, this is the thing you do. This is what you do next. And, and, it, and it proceeds in this nice logical um, predetermined order that the logic comes in. Okay. How was that? Okay. So that was our experiment. Were we successful in that experiment? Well, yes. Okay. Then let's amplify that to the next smallest degree and then we'll see what happens there. Okay. Um, so we amplify that. Um, how did that go? Well, that didn't go so well. Well, then we, we want to dampen that strategy. We don't want to use that strategy. And so what we want to do is we want to establish a process not a system, because if we try to jam somebody into a, a predetermined system, we're, we're setting ourselves up for failure because we have no idea, no idea how this complex system is going to adapt over time. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Well, it's interesting that you picked those two exercise combinations, the dumbbell floor press and then the barbell incline press, because that's exactly like when my shoulder was hurting, right? That I switched to, well, I think that's safe and it didn't hurt to do the dumbbell floor press and it reduced the range of motion. And then I felt better. I got and bored after like a certain amount of time and thought, oh, I'm just going to do some easy um, barbell pressing. And um, that lasted about a week. And then I couldn't even do the dumbbell floor press again because I, you know, I had over, I had leapt beyond what I should have done. Now we know Bill can read minds. So I know, I know. It's really <laughs> spooky. It's not just Amazon. It's Bill. So how can, so how can your book help with this? Um, like, like you've got a, you know, you talk about system and process. How does your book play into this? So, so you have this, you know, I explained the statute of work at limitations. You know, you progress, you progress slowly. So, so if we're talking about movement, then we, we add small increments of movement. We make small changes over time. We, we, we add load gradually. We add speed gradually. You know, we, we, we take more complex and, and less supported positions um, in, in, a, in a progressive manner. It's just about establishing, like I always say, the next logical step. It, it just it, it, it is it is difficult because once we start to feel good, we all want to go back to that that comparison of how we were when we were at our best and when we felt our best. And, hey, I used to be able to do this. But you know what? We don't have the tissue tolerance, maybe, because we've been off for a while or we don't have the stabilization capacity or we don't have enough variability, you know, in, in the way that we're we're moving air and, and pressures inside the body. And so, again, I wish there was like this this one prescription for him, but there, there, there just isn't. So, you know, the way I structure things in the book is is I have to generalize it because it's a book. You know, it'd be nice if it, if it was written for every individual. Um, but there is a process. And that's why, you know, the, the establishment of resilience comes first. The ability to recover from a stressor comes first. If I can establish that, then I slowly build the intensity or what I call um, developing resistance to stress on top of that. And so if you can follow those principles, um, establish a process of, of logical thought via the statute of workout limitations, then I think you've probably got a process that's going to work for a majority of people. There will always be exceptions at both ends of the spectrum that that either are, are amazing responders or at the other end they're non-responders. We, we can't avoid that. Um, but but at least that establishes a, a process of 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 thought and uh, um, programming. Very cool. This is 
in, just so incredibly helpful for me to hear you speak that out loud and to have the book in my hands. So I know that this podcast and the book are going to go together very, very well. Where can our listeners learn more about you, the book? We're going to put all of this in the show notes so it's easy to click and get to. And um, those of you who are lucky to be in the Midwest, maybe you can even go and, and see Bill's facility life and work with someone there or even meet Bill himself. Uh, how, how do they pe- people do that? How do they find you? Well, uh, BillHartman.net would be my website. Um, so you can go there. There's links to, to go toward the book. There's a blog there that'll, that'll keep you up to date on things. Um, you can sign up and, and, and get a, a little uh, seven steps to a pain-free comeback to the gym, which is a nice little ebook you can get for free. Um, and that'll sort of get you in the loop and get you into to some contact with me on a regular basis. Um, if you buy the book, you actually get uh, a free membership to the website. So that's a nice little, little bonus there. Um, I occasionally hide somewhere on Facebook. You can, you can try to track me down there. Yeah. There's a Facebook group with the book. So that's very helpful. Yeah. That, that's, yeah. that's been actually kind of fun. Yeah. Uh, a lot of good people on there, a lot of good questions mm-hmm. and, and actually some, some extra brain power there if, if you need it too. So, um, so, so that's great. And, and you can interact with, with other people that, that are going through the process and, and again, um, you know, sharing that, that experience makes it, makes all the difference, um, when you're, when you're trying to make your own comeback. And it's cool, even though your book is written for men, I'm like totally not paying attention to that part. And uh, I've really enjoyed it. And I see there's other women in the Facebook group, too. So I'm like, hey, I'm not alone. It's a good feeling. Yeah. Yeah. All more than welcome. Awesome. That's great. Bill, it has been wonderful having you on the show. My carpal tunnel still thanks you to this day. <laughs> you are most welcome, young man. I, I'm, I am thrilled to be on here. I've missed you guys. Yeah, um, so um, since, since I've gotten to see you. So um, I have to make my way out to California eventually. Yeah, and uh, I'll be coming to the Midwest soon, so hopefully see you there. Alrighty. Awesome. Thanks again, Bill. Have a wonderful day. Thank you for having me. It's good to talk to you. If you like today's show and want more episodes like it, you can help us by rating and reviewing the show wherever you subscribe. That means iTunes, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Google Play, Podbean, or in the podcast app on your phone. Do you know somebody who can benefit from today's episode? Share it right now from the show notes, which you can always find at eatmovelive52.com slash notes. And that funk that's playing behind me, it's called Proto-Funk by Kevin McLeod. Thanks, and talk to you soon. Thank you.